This morning we're beginning our series on 1 Peter and our text today is 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. Uh, Last time I was asked to preach, I was asked to preach on 31 verses. Uh, This time it is 3. I think it's the first time that I've been uh, given a text to preach on that comfortably flits onto a single slide. But as I prepared, I came to realise that 1 Peter is something like a a spiritual oxo cube. It's small, it's highly concentrated, and it's packed with flavour. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. In our house, anyway, any letter that comes into our hands, there are three questions. Uh, Who is it from? Uh, Who is it to? Because it could be the kids and not me. And is it a bill? (laughs) Okay. We can put the is it a bill question aside and we can work on the other two. So so who, who is it to? It's to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So we know all about that. We know where that is. That's pretty much uh, what we now call Turkey. So this slide is a a learned guess by others as to the route the letter may have followed through. Oh, there we go. Um, 1 Peter doesn't stand alone and it needs to be read within the context of Acts and the other New Testament letters and indeed the, the wider New Testament and from there the Bible. Okay. On his first missionary journey, Paul brought the gospel of Christ to the provinces of Galatia, establishing congregations in Iconium, Lystra and Derby, as well as in nearby Pisidian Antioch. And the map behind me, you'll see them in the middle towards the bottom, unless, of course, I'm standing in the way. On his second missionary journey, Paul wanted to go into Bithynia as well as into Asia Minor, but the Holy Spirit redirected him to cross over the Aegean Sea into Macedonia and Europe. You can read that in Acts 16, and the phrase used is quite interesting. It says the Holy Spirit forbade him. Okay, so redirected is probably a bit of a soft word. He was forbidden to go there at that time. So Paul never did go to Bithynia or Pontius. But on his third missionary journey, uh, he spent two years in Ephesus, which was the leading city in Asia Minor. So during the time that elapsed from when Paul went on his first missionary journey to Galatia to the time when Peter was written, Christianity spread from Galatia to the northern provinces, Pontius and Bithynia, and into the eastern province of Cappadocia. If you haven't followed that, I don't, you know, don't blame you. Um, I think you have to be a geographer. But uh, if you listen to it again, you'll be able to sort of plot the route and see how it happened. The letter, 1 Peter, it's what we call an encyclical. 
the Pope still does the, <coughs> these these uh, at the moment, doesn't he? Was a let an open letter to all the churches, and because of the um, the fact that three languages were spoken um, throughout the Roman Empire as it was then, encyclicals were read to the church. So it wasn't a case of someone opened the letter and read it and said, oh, that's interesting, I might base a sermon on it. Okay, it, The letter in its entirety was read to the congregations. Now, uh, we can see in chapter 5, and I, I'm, I'm very frightened I'm going to steal other sermons that are coming later, but we can see in chapter 5 and 12 that it was written with the help of Silas, a close co-worker of Paul, and it's likely that there was more than one copy. Okay? Now, geographers will tell you the region is bounded. Are you ready for this? Big breath. By the Black Sea to the north, the Caucasus to the North Sea, sorry, northeast, the Aegean Sea to the west, the Mediterranean Sea to the south, and the Iranian Plateau to the east and southwest. I'm going to pause while the ladies join us. Um, by the way, ladies, I have apologies from Belinda, who's been unavoidably detained on a five-star spa weekend. <laughs> we heard at prayer and fasting earlier this week of the push into Turkey and the Caucasus. That's happening now. New Frontiers is doing that now. Churches are being planted there now. And in fact, someone who, who's here went on a team to Turkey. Okay, this isn't a then thing. It's also a now thing. Uh, and the place names may have changed in the intervening period, but the actual places and the challenges are still there. In parts of those regions, people are getting shot because they are Christians. Now, Peter stated his principal reason for writing in chapter 5, verse 12, which was to encourage his readers to stand firm. <coughs> now, evidently, some level of persecution was already widespread amongst the readers, the people who had this letter read to them. Uh, not all the churches planted by Paul experienced this, but those in the north of Asia Minor certainly did, and many still do. And while the persecution seems to have been common at the time when Peter was written, it was fairly low level, and it didn't become government-backed until Nero framed the Christians for burning Rome in AD 64. From our vantage point, uh, so many years later, we can see that for the churches to whom the letter is addressed, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, it was actually going to get worse. And that Peter's letter was prophetic in its timing. So that's who the letter was to. Let's look at who the letter is from. Well, um, that will be him. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, begs a question, who's he? Now, uh, can I just ask anybody who's perhaps a little older, maybe older than 30, are you still in possession of your school reports? Yes. Yes, and where are they? <laughs> Hidden away. Yes, I have mine. They're in a locked filing cabinet in the cellar with the sign marked, Beware of the Leopard. Okay? The life and times of the Apostle Peter. Okay, he was a fisherman. He was brought to Jesus by his brother Andrew. 
and he became one of Jesus' first disciples. Along with James and John, he seemed to have been one of the disciples who was most around and about. He was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, It's fair to say Peter didn't always quite get it. And he could be impulsive, uh, maybe even a bit pushy. He's actually called some unkind things in the commentaries, but that's all I'm going to say. A bit pushy perhaps is when he rebuked Jesus for intending to go to Jerusalem, where Jesus knew that he would be rejected and killed. And again, the transfiguration, when he suggested building three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Clearly, Peter didn't get it then. And he also showed he could be a bit full of himself, uh, boldly claiming that he would never deny Jesus, even if all the rest did, and then doing that very thing. Peter repented of his denial of Christ, and after Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus reinstated him. Famously, Peter was the one who stood up at Pentecost and preached to the multitude. And there were 3,000 added to the church in Jerusalem that day. Equally famously, after healing the man who was lame from birth, it was Peter who preached powerfully to the crowd in the temple. And it was he who stood boldly before the ruling council of the Jews when he was arrested with John and the other apostles. It's fair to say that Peter was not a pushover. Following this, Peter later actively spread the gospel in Judea and Samaria. The life and times of Peter the Apostle. I've gone through that at great speed. Um, If you'd like to read the gospels, you'll get all the detail and the flavour. Okay, but I felt that I should stick, you know, to uh, edited highlights this morning. He's a leader who didn't always get it right. Okay. He got the three tabernacles thing wrong. He got rebuking Jesus for intending to go to Jerusalem wrong. He denied knowing Jesus three times. He was reinstated by Jesus. Why? Not because he deserved it, but because of... Not because he deserved it, but because of... Okay. He accepted the gracious forgiveness of God. And he fundamentally changed. Some of the characteristics that were already Peter, the guy he was, um, the fact that he could be um, a bit pushy, the fact that he was not a pushover, were actually used by God. God didn't say, you have to stop being Peter. God said, you need to change and be like me, and I will use you and the characteristics that are in you. As long as they're not sin, I can work with it. It's the potter's clay. So the fact that he was uh, prepared to stand up uh, in front of the Sanhedrin, the fact that he, he preached at Pentecost, that was God using what was already there for his purposes. And um, I, I like Peter because, I don't know if this has ever been said to you, folks say, oh, Christians, they're all clones. Okay, well, they've never stood here and looked out at you lot. Um, but putting that aside, here is someone who remained who he was, but used by God. When he said he wouldn't deny Jesus, I have no doubt 
that he meant it when he said it, but he simply didn't have the courage to do so. And yet this is the same guy. He stood up, he preached at Pentecost. He was so defiant before the ruling council of the Jews. He exhibited courage in the face of opposition, even oppression. And the people who are receiving one Peter, they will know that. They will know that he's not speaking from a place of, uh, I have a technical understanding of how things are. He's speaking from a place of, I've been there. I know how it feels. Okay? And this guy, you know, who, who, you know, fairly roughly tufty fisherman after all, you know, we're not talking accountant here, okay? He wrote with such tenderness in 1 Peter. It doesn't take long to read it, and I, I, do, I do recommend that you do. Um, I suspect what will happen to you is what happened to me, in that I kept stopping and going back and stopping and going back, because so much is packed into it. It's only got 105 verses, but we find teaching on hope, on grace, salvation, community, how we relate to the world, the Trinity, personal, social, and community, holiness, end times, and suffering. Uh, There's a lot more in 1 Peter than preaching on suffering, but as I mentioned, he did say that one of his primary goals was to encourage those who got the letter to stand for God. Selwyn wrote this about 1 Peter. Despite its brevity, it is a microcosm of Christian faith and duty. The model of a pastoral charge composed of divers materials and of many themes. There is an awful lot in it. Okay? So returning to verse 1. It's very striking that Peter uses the word elect alongside the word exiles. And in chapter 2, verse 11, he writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Okay. There are four inherent principles here for us, which we can get hold of, which were equally important to those to whom the letter was written. The first is that we as Christians are foreigners. Uh, When I first moved to North Wales, I had a job in a haulage company, road transport company. Uh, They call it logistics these days, but it's haulage. Um, In uh, in Altami, just outside Mould. And uh, my first job was keeping track of all the trailers because they were all being dropped everywhere and we we kept losing them. And... um, I was working for a guy who was, uh, how can I describe him? He was very Welsh. Okay, very Welsh. So our first conversation he used to just establish how Welsh I was and whether indeed I met the standard of Welshness that he felt was important. Well, my dad is from Wales. Uh, My mother has the unfortunate uh, background of coming from Yorkshire. Um, So it is the land of my father's, but not of my mother. And uh, I was just considered a bit borderline, really. And this guy used to say, uh, we should stop the English at, at the bridge. We shouldn't let them in. They, you know. And uh, whilst I was working there, we got a contract to haul topsoil to uh, Liverpool, to Egbert. Egbert, I should say, which was the big garden festival they had there. 
Um, it was years and years ago, and I think it's all derelict now. But the topsoil came from North Wales to Liverpool. And I remember <laughs> standing up and saying, these English, not only do they steal our water, but it's the very ground beneath our feet. <laughs> I'm afraid to him I was a foreigner and would always be so. The second principle is that we as Christians are temporary residents. That our home as Christians is somewhere else. And that consequently we as Christians should not act as if we belonged here. Uh, in my youth, uh, yes I had one. We used to sing a song that I used to think a bit naff at the time, but it captures this really, really well. I will bless you by not singing it. I will read it. Trust me, you don't want to hear this tune. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The Saviour beckons me through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And Callie knows it. <laughs> in Jesus' words, John seventeen thirteen to 16, we are in the world, but we are not of it. Uh, quite some years ago, uh, quite some years ago, not long after the Berlin Wall came down, in fact, Belinda and I travelled to Prague for a short holiday. I did some business there, and uh, I knew some people there, and they kept saying, come and see, you know, what a lovely city it is. Um, now, in those days, there were no cheap or, or frequent flights, but I had air miles. Uh, nor were there any modern roads that now connect Prague to the rest of Europe. Uh, and if I remember correctly, there was actually only one major international hotel there at the time. So, uh, as a result, visitors from the UK, well, we were a comparative rarity and not really catered for. Um, I feel I have to put all that in because, as I understand it these days, e EasyJet takes stag parties to Prague all the time because the beer is cheap. But that isn't what we were there for, and it was long before then. Okay. Yeah. Prague has a brilliant underground system. It's every bit as good as London. So we decided to use it to get about. But what I hadn't realised is they have a different alphabet. Okay. So the train would draw up at a station... And being a foreigner, I didn't understand the announcement, because it was in Czech, and not understanding the alphabet, the station signs, didn't mean anything either. So nothing sounded as it read, or read as it sounded. And though I've, I've travelled a lot over the years, I don't think I've ever felt more like a foreigner than I did then. And after much fumbling with a map... Uh, my wife was relying on me to get her safely to our destination and it was dawning on her that uh, that might not in fact be a reliable assumption. Uh, then a fellow passenger just leant over and in perfect English said, are you lost? Can I help? So not only did I feel like a foreigner, but to the locals, I obviously looked like one. They could see that I wasn't from there. Okay. And while we had uh, this break in Prague, we, we walked a great deal and we had a street map, as you would. And every once in a while, we would consult the street map because for some reason in Prague, roads move and they're just never quite where they should be. I'd never understood that about Prague. So we'd be standing there with a map and I'd be trying to work it out, you know. Uh, 
And there'd be a tap on the shoulder. And again, in perfect English, someone would say, are you lost? Can I help? This happened the whole time. It was spooky, actually. Um, And we were, and they could. The key thing here is, we were foreigners there. And those who lived there could see that we were. Okay, our behaviour, and I guess the bewilderment on my face, gave us away that we were not from there. Now, Peter uses one Greek word, uh, anastrophe, six times. He uses it once in chapter 1, twice in chapter 2, three times in chapter 3, and twice in 2 Peter. It means uh, way of life or behaviour. And as Christians, our way of life, our conduct, and our behaviour should mark us out as foreigners. Uh, now, another story, if I may. Uh, Belinda and I, were, we, we had the ferry from uh, where it had been Rotterdam to Hull. And for the one and only time in my life, we were the first car off. So um, I confess that I, I decided that I would put distance between us and Hull at, at a, as rapid a rate as a practical. Because it was just, yippee, we're off, going home. And we pulled up at a, a dual carriageway just on the outskirts of Hull. I was in the right-hand lane of the dual carriageway, so the, the overtaking lane. And a car, a very smart red Mercedes sports car, came the other way, German plates. And he was on the carriageway facing me. And he was on what he thought was the inside lane. So you've now got a set of traffic lights and two cars facing each other, okay, occupying, occupying the same lane. And I'm going... He's there going. And when the lights changed, he twigged and he just whistled round. I bring this up because uh, whilst our conduct and our behaviour should not, sorry, should mark us out as foreigners, we don't have to be different just for the sake of it. Okay? If we felt, oh, you know, um, the Lord wants us to drive on the other side of the road from everybody else, okay, um, they will be collisions, there will be fiery conflagrations, and there will be much more prayer for healing than there was this morning, okay? We don't have to be different for the sake of it, and it's important for us to grasp that, but we have to be different for the sake of God. Now, King James uh, Version, which, which is really good on this, it translates 1 Peter 2.9 as a Peculiar people. Okay, now, we know for certain that he hadn't met us. Okay, so he wasn't referring to us directly, um, nor, in fact, uh, are we peculiar in the sense of some of those strange Christians we've all met from, from time to time. What he means is, we, Christians, are set apart. We are distinct. We are godly. Okay? You are a distinct people, children of God. And the other thing, remember, we are temporary residents. We should not settle here. This is not where we live. It is not intended that we shall stay. Now, I haven't heard the phrase used for a while, but uh, when a a Christian brother died, goodness, it must have been 20 years ago I heard this, um, I recall someone saying that the individual, an elderly and very godly gentleman, had gone home. 
And the phrase might be a little unfashionable today, but the meaning is entirely consistent with 1 Peter. So since we're not from here, we don't belong here, and aren't staying here, we should not behave as if we are. So, adding on verse 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Deep theological waters, friends. Paul wrote this in Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now Paul says how he knows in verse 29 and 30. So looking way back to the beginning of time, he states that those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Looking back into the recent past, he also states, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And looking forwards to the future, he completes verse 30 with, those he justified, he also glorified. So we have an illustration. You'll be pleased to know it does not involve kissing of any sort. Uh, Can I have my, my, my four willing volunteers, please? No, no kissing at all. Thank you, folks. For those listening to this on the internet, that was Tim, and he will be undergoing counselling. Did, did, did you get that? That's, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but that is the process, okay? It starts way over there before the beginning of time, and it finishes way over there at the end of time. just keeps going. Okay, and each of these are along the line. Now this principle, the principle of election, was pretty much taken as read when 1 Peter was written. So he didn't try and explain it. But why did you think that he raised it so, so early uh, in the letter? It's a, a fair question. Well, to co- quote uh, Grudem, election is a cause for comfort and assurance that God will work for our good today. Mm. Now, Peter was writing to folk who were experiencing or who were about to experience very, very tough times. And this short phrase in verse 2 was to remind them that whatever happened, this comfort and assurance was theirs. And to us today, this comfort and assurance is ours. Nigel was telling me uh, about a trip he took to uh, China some years ago. 
and uh, he had the opportunity to talk to a number of people who had been uh, oppressed in a manner that is as appalling and awful as it gets. Um, and he said that, you know, one thing he remembers about the trip is he kept crying because people were telling him uh, the facts of what had happened to them, the persecution that had been undertaken. And yet through it all, tell me if I've got this wrong, Nigel, they could say that God's comfort and assurance was theirs. Okay. So, in, in great persecution, in such difficult circumstances that we have never personally seen, God's comfort and assurance is ours. So how much more today with the things that we have to deal with, which though important are relatively unimportant, okay, it's God's comfort and assurance for us. Yeah? So then to the second part of verse 2, which reads, Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Okay, ready for this big definition. Sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit that makes Christians more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. It is an ongoing process requiring the cooperation of the individual Christian with the Holy Spirit. Go read that again. Sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit that makes Christians more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. It is an ongoing process requiring the cooperation of the individual Christian with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before. Forgive me uh, if you remember that I have. But over the years, I've come across people who uh, they prayed the sinner's prayer. They seem to do it in an, an informed and a wholehearted way. They seem to mean it and they seem to understand what it was they were doing. Yeah. And then there was no change. Uh, I came up with a label for these folk. I call them saved and stopped. You see, they had chosen not to join God in the ongoing process of their sanctification. And it is possible to do that. Okay? So Peter is reminding us that we have been chosen. Absolutely. You have been chosen. Certainly you have been chosen to join with God in the ongoing process of sanctification. Okay? Becoming a Christian isn't a means in itself, it is the start. Mm. The output of sanctification is that character and will will become more and more aligned with God. And thus we become more obedient to him. And this is what Peter is saying. He could get it into a line and a half. I'm sorry, I take a bit longer. Gridden puts it like this. Becoming a Christian is a gift from God that requires our involvement. We find the same to be true of sanctification. Progress in sanctification is a gift of grace 
but it is a gift we can expect to receive. And this isn't crude anymore, this is me. We've got to remember that since God made the first move, a move of grace, it is he that gets the glory for any change in us. Yeah, Any victory we have is his victory yeah. first. Okay? You're still with me, you're doing well. Yeah, wave. There's some discussion as to the background of the readers of 1 Peter, the original ones, were they Jews or Gentiles? The general view is they were probably uh, Gentiles, but there could have been some Jews in there too. Either way, they would have been familiar with the principle of sacrifice to gods from just what went on around them. The idea of a blood sacrifice wasn't you know, the difficult concept to them that it is to us. We read in Hebrews 10 and verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And in Hebrews 9:12, he, which is to say Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The sprinkling of blood refers to the sacrifice of Jesus in our place and his covenant with us, never to leave us or forsake us. So, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Thank you. <laughs> no, I haven't finished. I just wanted to see what, who was, you know, looking up We all have the posh phrases, a closing salutation. Don't we? we all end our letters, emails, texts, Facebook messages, tweets and pigeon posts differently. Blessings. Blessings. Bye. Cheers. Yours faithfully. Yours sincerely. Your brother or sister in Christ. Lots of love. Have a nice day. Love or maybe just our name. And I've missed some out. Would anyone like to throw any in? Kind regards. Kind regards. Best wishes. Best wishes. Sorry? Hugs and kisses. <laughs> Occasionally you get Merry Christmas, don't you? Okay. The theme of grace continues in both 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And, and this, is, this is clearly more than a routine salutation. You see similar ones uh, in the other letters. Uh, but it has meaning. It's not just the throwaway comment because I'm, you know, that's it. Um, we do need to understand that in, in the letters they often say yours faithfully at the start and the end, as it were. And this was the first one. When things aren't working out as we would have hoped, or things are tough, or the prosperity of the unjust is annoying us, in our interactions with God, the words, not fair, can easily spring to our lips. Speaking as someone who has two children, neither of whom are present, so I can uh, slander them appallingly. Uh, when they were young and they were in the back seat of the car, um, you couldn't have gone 25 miles before, you know, 
fairness was mentioned. Some uh, assumed slight that you had favoured child A against child B or vice versa. Okay, it's not fair. And even though we're adults these days, we might not say it because we're much too sophisticated. But I suspect we think it. <coughs> Peter's reminding those to whom he's remind, uh, writing that the most unfair thing in the universe, the grace of God, has been extended to them and is being extended to them. And he's gently reminding them to see their troubles in the light of that fact. Now this is not to ignore their troubles, this is not to ignore their persecution, but it is to place it in the proper context of the unmerited favour of God, extended to them generously and in abundance. Now bearing in mind the historical context of the letter, the use of the word peace seems uh, a bit odd. Um, after all, we know that the folk to whom the letter is addressed have or are about to have trouble. Now, Peter is referring to the peace that comes from accepting God's grace, being in relationship with him, knowing him, and being sanctified through him. <coughs> Peter is referring to the peace, the absence of anxiety, if you will, that comes from knowing our place in eternity. So that whatever goes on around us, or even to us, we are settled in God. Okay? If you remember our illustration, um, those folk were in particular places for a reason. We had way back in the distant past, all the way through to present, and way into the future. Okay? Whatever happens to us, whatever our troubles are, we're going there we live there we're en route to there okay I have not been in the extremes that these people probably had to suffer but had I been I know what a comfort it would have been just to be reminded you don't live here you're going there now it could be uh, it may be that you don't have that peace because you're not settled in God uh, it could be that you actually aren't sure of your place in eternity. Uh, it may be that your life is all about the trouble, and not at all about the peace. Now, if that's the case, when we when we finish a little later, we would love to to talk to you about that and to introduce you to Jesus. We would very much like to do that. Nigel and Callie over there, uh, Phil back there, or me, we would all just love to talk to you. Okay. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Steve, the guy who's preaching this morning, to God's elect, from all over the place but have pitched up in Wales, who have been chosen according to the full knowledge of God the Father 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. <clears throat> as I, as I, I uh, prepared this, um, I, really, I really felt uh, God just want me to bring up two things from, uh, from what we've been uh, discussing this morning. Um, I don't know who they're for, which is frankly very liberating, um, but two things. You, you will require, uh, sorry, re- re- remember that the first thing Andrew did, and that's the phrase, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And then it says he brought him to Jesus. Um, there's someone here who needs to say that to their brother. Okay? Don't know who. You need to say that to your brother. And the second thing which came up very much in, in, uh, in talking about that we don't live here, we don't behave like we're from here, God kept giving me the phrase, small dishonesties. And uh, the first thing I had to do was, you know, reflect on me. You know, what did that mean? Uh, what did that mean to me? Was God bringing that to my, my notice? The danger is that because we are in the world, we kind of pick up the, the way of doing of the world, when in fact uh, we need to be distinct in the way we do. Um, I work in, in an office with uh, a, a group of ladies who are all uh, big characters. They're a delight to work with. They're great fun. I'm the only bloke in the team. And one of the things that they've noticed is they are forever saying the most awful things about their husbands. And every once in a while I say, look, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm someone's husband. You know, and you're saying this in front of me. Oh, we don't, we don't count you. Besides, you only say nice things about your wife. That's something that if I hadn't been too careful about, I'd have picked up. You know, and the, the, the joking that you have if you're a, a, a close couple becomes a bit more barbed. Um, and where does this go? Small dishonesties. Little things that we have picked up that we do or admit to do. I'm not saying that I'm in a room full of murderers or, you know, there's no axes left at the door, I checked. Okay, so uh, little things, small dishonesties. So those are the two things that I want to just bring this morning um, with what we've shared. Somebody needs to talk to their brother and we all, we all just need to watch out for those small dishonesties. Okay, this isn't a heap of condemnation. This is God just saying, well, look, come on, you're not from here. All right, well, bless you, that's me.